Hey, you're listening to Sean of the South, and I'm your host, Sean Dietrich. We're coming to you live via the radio and the podcast airwaves all over the nation. These good folks you see behind me here are going to be playing music for you. This is Hay Fever, everybody. Hay Fever. This evening, a little bit of our mail sent in to us from listeners all over the nation, listeners who decided to put pen to paper. Mary Stonegood, New London, Connecticut. 
Sean, we're going on a 10-state road trip, and I just had to write you about it because I thought you might care. I'm so excited. My mom is going to drive, and we're going to do all the stupid road trip things that road trippers do. I even have brought a tent in case we decide to get crazy and do some camping once we get to Florida. Anyway, just wanted to let you know. Dear Mary, just a word of caution from somebody who lives in northwest Florida. Watch out for mosquitoes down here. We have mosquitoes who are so mean that they will, they will follow you wherever you go. Even if you check into a Holiday Inn, they'll check into the room right next door to you and they'll wait for you to come out and go to the pool so they can sting you. <laughs> Your friend, Sean Dietrich. Clark Sammons, Katy, Texas. My son wanted to learn how to play piano and so I bought him an upright out of the newspaper classifieds. I had my father come help me lift it and while he was lifting, I saw him wince in pain. He ruptured a disc and he had a surgery after that. And as of a few weeks ago, the doctor just told me, I have a bulging disc now too. It's the most pain I've ever been in in my life. I can't seem to get my left leg to feel, to feel better. Anyway, my son quit going to lessons because he thinks the piano is very stupid now. I just put it up for sale in the paper this week. He never even learned how to play Mary Had a Little Lamb. <laughs> Jewel Wismer, Kansas City, Missouri. I have a dog who is part Chihuahua and part something else with long hair, a terrier, maybe. She's the cutest thing. Her name is Romy. And the reason I'm writing you is because she is actually the one who found your show first. <laughs> I'm serious. My phone was on the couch. And I was cooking, and she laid on it, and her bare belly hit the touch screen, and she was rolling around, and somehow she had accidentally been browsing the net with her every movement. <laughs> Next thing I knew, there was this voice coming out of my phone, and it was your voice. Anyway, now I listen to your show every week, so there you go. I knew you'd want to know this, and I knew you'd probably use it on your show. Dear Jewel, you bet your tail. I use it on my show. Sam Ed, Hope Hole, Alabama. My mother is getting some teeth pulled today, Sean, and one root canal. She's 73 years old, and I just wanted to tell her through your show because she listens to your show like clockwork. Good luck, Mama. I'm praying for you. I don't listen to your show, however, <laughs> but she's a good woman, and her name is Charlene. Tell her I wish her a speedy recovery. Greg Marshall, Kennesaw, Georgia. Sean, I know you really like Andy Griffith, and so do I. And I thought you might enjoy this little story. My wife Susan and I hadn't been married for very long, and we went on a business trip to the Opperland Hotel in Nashville. It was pretty new back then, early 80s. It was a real treat to stay there, and we were looking forward to it. We just finished the business part of our day, and we were headed up to our room, and in the elevator... In walked George Lindsay Goober from the Andy Griffith Show, and I was stunned. But what happened next was interesting. Goober gave my wife Susan a long, lingering once-over. He looked at her up and down, and after he got off the elevator, I said, Did you see who that was? He said, That was George Lindsay. She just looked at me. She was all puzzled. I said, It was Goober from the Andy Griffith Show. You should have seen how he was checking you out. I mean, up and down. Wow. Anyway, I don't care if Goober was checking out my smoking hot wife. 
We've been married for 36 years, and she's just as beautiful as ever. Your friend, Greg. Uncle Kenny, Dothan, Alabama. Dear Sean, Rehoboth High School, Class of 78 reunion. Twelve years and five summer schools later, I graduated. These are the folks that I spent my early years with. I worked at the country store from the time I was 11 until 16, six days a week. I'm sad to say it won't be the same. It won't be the same without the great Ronald Thomas. It won't be the same without him. Anyway, I've been much obliged if you mention this on your show, my 78, class of 78 class reunion. Kim Lynn Blunt, Columbus, Georgia. Dear Sean, I'm of Korean descent, but I speak with a southern accent, and some people make fun of me for it. But I can't help it. I was raised all around the south. My dad's from the hills of Tennessee, and I can see it all over people's faces. Whenever I start talking, they look at me, and they just don't know how to act. A long time ago, it used to get so bad, I finally ditched my southern accent so that people wouldn't look so weird at me. After your show, though, I am back talking Southern again. I love my roots, and I'm not going to turn my back on them again. I'm 43 now, and I'm just now starting to learn the Korean tongue of my mother's lineage. She's teaching me a few times per week. She has a textbook and everything. I think it's helping us bond even more than we ever have before. Have a good day, your friend, Kim. Peter Ackman, Redding, California. Sean, I have a poem for you that I hope you read over the air in your show. I'm a new listener. I'm a senior in high school this year, and I want to be a real poet, but not the one who uses big words. I want to use simple words, kind of like you do. I thought you might appreciate this poem. A Simple Man by Peter Ackman. I am a man, almost. I know how to love, which means I'm close. I'm a regular boy who has the choice to just enjoy what he's been given. Neither money, nor rock star fame, nor a famous name do I need to keep living because I am a full-grown man, almost, for I know how to love, which means I'm close. Peter Ackman. Rhonda Pagarte, Little Rock, Arkansas. Sean, my dad passed last week, and we watched some funny TV shows in the hospital together before he went. And he laughed a little, and he told me stories about his Pentecostal mother. He was a Pentecostal all his life, and he was always the first to make fun of himself and some of his wacky beliefs. He left the church at least twice before he finally formed his own little tiny church in a little backwoods community. And their biggest service was only about 100 people. He visited every single one of them in his congregation whenever they were sick, at every single birth and every dedication and wedding and funeral. Every single person he ever visited came to visit us after he died. Even people who'd moved away and came back here, they came back here for the funeral. It was breathtaking. I have his ashes in my glove box in my car. I just can't seem to get rid of them. He wanted to be scattered, and I know this might sound weird to you, but he wanted to be scattered in Spain because he was of Spanish descent, and he always wanted to go where his father was originally from, but he never did get to visit. My husband, two girls, and I are preparing to go to Spain this winter for winter vacation. And there I'll be sprinkling some, not all, 
of my dad all over the place and especially on El Camino if you're familiar with that. Anyway, wish me luck, your friend, Rhonda. Dear Rhonda, dear Rhonda, bendiciones para ti, bendiciones de tu familia. Blessings on you and blessings on your family. Especialmente en memoria de tu padre, ojalá que tu viaje es una gran experiencia para toda la familia. It means I hope this is an extraordinary experience for you and your family, but I don't hope, I know. I know it will be a grand experience for you and your family. That's letters from our listeners. Let's have another tune here from Hay Fever, everybody. Hay Fever. in the 
We have had some glorious, glorious weather this past week in, in northwest Florida and south Alabama. It's been the kind of weather that will make a Baptist man strongly consider converting to Episcopalism. Because Episcopals, they don't sit inside tiny chapels and feel guilty. They find a way to, to, to get around that. They kneel and they pray for a little bit, then they feel totally better, and they go mix a few drinks in the back. <laughs> this is the kind of weather that will cause a man to have serious doubts, serious doubts about the fundamentalist Baptist faith he was raised in. And he, will, he will dabble in other ideas. He would dabble in other ideas. This is the weather when men go fishing. This is the weather when my father used to take me fishing because fishing is a time that lends itself to beautiful weather. You see, it's never made sense to me to go fishing in weather that's not perfect and sunny. There are so many other things you could be doing. There are, there are different levels of fishermen. There are class five fishermen, and these are the men who are serious. They're intense about it. These are the men who wear little patches from sponsors on their clothes when they go fishing. And they own the nicest pair of Columbia sportswear and their, their fiberglass fishing rods that have GPS finders and locators embedded within the cork handles. And they've got fish locators that are made from supercomputers mounted to the dashboards of their $75,000 bass boats. <laughs> and then you've got class one fishermen who are like me. My bass boat is made out of aluminum, which has been welded with an aluminum welder from a friend of mine named John John. This boat had been subject to a car wreck when its previous owner owned it before he sold it to me. And I will not go out unless it is beautiful weather in this dilapidated boat that has no fish finder, that has absolutely no fish locators or GPS computers. All I have are these, these old fishing rods with cork handles, and I've got cheap lures, and I've got live shrimp, or I've got live bait that I caught from my pinfish traps. However, none of that even does as good in the Choctahatchee Bay as just a little silver spoon. It's a silver spoon made for me by a friend of mine named Mr. Carl. Mr. Carl takes actual spoons and he cuts them apart. He gets these spoons at the thrift store and he drills a little bitty hole in one of them and he, he, he attaches a small chain and you attach this to your fishing rod. It's got a hook on it and when you reel it, this spoon spins through the water and it will catch a fish once every 17 years. That's another thing about class one fishermen like myself. We don't catch a whole lot of fish. This is why it is of the utmost importance that it is beautiful weather when we go fishing. If we go fishing when the weather is not beautiful, we will spend our whole day in misery. Fishing is nothing but waiting. Fishing is a whole lot like baseball in that regard. This is why men eat hot dogs during baseball, and they drink, they drink beer during baseball, and they will carry scorecards, and they will fill out the scorecards during a baseball game with pencil. Men do not do this in SEC football. If a man tried to fill out a scorecard in SEC football, the game would be over by the time he finished scoring one quarter. But in baseball, you, you, you do a lot of things to pass the time because baseball is a waiting sport. There's more waiting done in the game than there is actual playing. And that's how fishing is. Fishing is nothing but waiting for me. Those glorious end of summer days 
spent with my father on a little boat fishing are among the greatest memories of my entire life. We would sit out there and we would wait. And when a man is waiting on still water holding a cork-wrapped pole in his hands, listening to the gentle tick, 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 tick of his reel when he reels it in, listening to the plop of his bait hit the water and the thwip of his rod as it swipes through the air during a cast. This environment makes a man into a philosopher. And my father would become a philosopher out there in the water. He'd say brilliant things that men can only say when they're fishing. He would say things like, like, the sun don't shine on the same pig's butt more than one day in a row. He would say, he would say things like, it's better to squelch than belch and bear the shame than belch and squelch and bear the pain. He would say things like, He would say things like, there are only two things to remember in life. One, the boss man is always right. Number two, if the boss man is wrong, refer back to rule number one. And he said something I'll never forget one time, something I've carried with me for for most of my life. He said, if you ever are fortunate enough to believe in yourself, once you learn how to do that, You've laid hold of the most valuable thing you'll ever lay hold to. I've never forgotten that. My father wasn't a man who, who had extraordinary confidence. He didn't believe in himself. Not, not like other men did. And he imparted this to me. I was not born with a, with a large level of confidence. I asked him what it meant and how how I could believe in myself. He said, I can't tell you that. He said, it's like a joke. If I have to explain the joke to you, then it doesn't mean anything. It's not funny anymore. You've got to find it out for yourself. There were all sorts of jokes my father had that he he ought to have explained to me but never did because some of them were just flat out inappropriate. And some of them just flew over my head. Like the joke about the man who walks into the bar... And he looks at the bartender. He says, I will have a cup of black coffee with no cream. And the bartender looks at him and says, we're out of cream, but I can give you a cup of black coffee with no milk. <laughs> that joke when I was a kid was just a little bit above my pay grade. And my father would refuse to explain it to me. I did not understand that joke until I was 34 years old. <laughs> when we would go fishing, my father would always do the same thing. He would do the same thing. He would drink Coca-Cola from the bottle, and he would place handfuls of peanuts inside this Coca-Cola bottle, the greenish-colored Coca-Cola bottle. Salt peanuts, he would place his thumb in the mouth of the Coca-Cola bottle, turn it upside down, and let them peanuts swirl around with that dark syrup, creating what he called the poor man's lunchbox. And then he would shake it up just a little bit with his thumb still over the mouth, and he'd point the mouth at me, and he would release his thumb ever so slightly and make the bottle pee on me. When he would finish his Coca-Cola, he would chuck that bottle as far into the water as he could. And he would always say it, something ceremonious. He would say, take that fish since you won't take none of my bait. (laughs) On a good day of fishing, a good Sunday day, he could go through roughly eight Coca-Cola bottles and a whole jar of peanuts. These are the things I remember about my father. They stick with me. And they'll probably stick with me forever. I still bring Coca-Cola out with me when I go fishing, but I can't drink eight. I can't drink eight. But I do enjoy the taste of peanuts and Coca-Cola. I always have. 
always will. I did not have a glorious life growing up. It's no secret. When I was in seventh grade after my father died, I dropped out of school. I didn't go to school. Thus, you're looking at a man before you tonight who has not attended a day of school past the seventh grade, at least, at least not a day of high school. It wasn't until I was a grown man that I went to college. I was aimless in life. I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do. And this will only serve to make a man feel less confident about himself. And I grew up feeling very, very underconfident. I worked construction job sites from the age of 14. My first job was hanging drywall. I laid tile. I planted wax myrtles in a landscaping crew. I laid sod. I painted houses on the outside. I painted houses on the inside. I hung commercial roofing. I hung commercial gutter. For a short period of time, I even worked at an ice cream shop. I will never forget, right after we got married, my wife and I moved into this tiny little apartment complex in a rough part of town. It was small. We were so happy, though, and blinded by the joys of marriage that it didn't matter where we lived. The man in the apartment next to us, he was in a wheelchair, and his, his one-bedroom unit housed six different family members who were all probably stealing his disability check. The unit across from us was a woman and her two children. She worked all the time, and her children practically raised themselves. Her oldest son already had two tattoos on his arm, and he wasn't even 12 years old yet. (laughs) The unit above us, the man, he had a lot of cats, and them cats, they'd just wander around that apartment complex all over the place. Behind our apartment complex, we had this huge drainage ditch, that they had tried to shape to look like a pond, but it was no pond. It was just an ugly, ugly drainage ditch, and when the wind was right, it smelled like a chicken factory and a retired jock strap rolled into one. <laughs> Foul-smelling little body of water. We had a maintenance man named Jimmy Danny. Jimmy Danny was a shirtless man who would ride around. He had silver in his hair. He'd ride around in a golf cart, a dilapidated golf cart. And his job, aside from just changing the light bulbs and the breezeways, was breaking up fist fights. And we had a lot of fist fights. You could always hear Jimmy Danny getting in a fist fight on Friday night because that's when most of the folks conducted their, their rituals. And they would throw a punch, and I could hear Jim and Danny skid up on his golf cart, and he'd say, hey, now cut it out now, cut it out now, cut it out now. And eventually I would hear Jim and Danny howl, and that meant he'd been hit. Jim and Danny had never been to Sunday school, so he was not familiar with the idea of turning the other cheek. <laughs> and thus he did not do it. And so you could see Jim and Danny on a Saturday morning riding his golf cart with a black eye, and he was, he was not the happiest man. I worked in a church at the time because construction work had grown slow. I was a high school dropout without any prospects in life, no money, but I had, had me a wife, and I was just as happy as could be. She taught preschool, and I worked construction when I could, and I also played music at an all-you-can-eat seafood joint at night. And, and I worked at a church. I had to be there at church on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday evenings, and Saturday nights for prayer meeting. Now, of course, I didn't want to go to prayer meeting, but I had to be there. Because these were Baptists who had just a little bit of Pentecostal in them, too. 
prayer meeting is the most important time of the week. They paid me $300 each week. It wasn't enough to say grace over. Eventually, the construction business slowed so far down here in northwest Florida, I started looking other places. I applied for all sorts of jobs. I even applied for a telemarketer job, if you can believe it. I'll never forget it. The man at the telemarketing firm said, looking over my resume, no high school? You ain't even been to high school? He said, how are you supposed to conduct an intelligent conversation over the phone if you ain't been to high school? I didn't feel like telling that man that I'd read my share of books in my life. I've read a lot of books because I had a lot to make up for. I read so much that my eyes almost went cross. I like to read Mark Twain. I like to read works of classic literature like Papillon and and Moby Dick. I like to read old dime, dime store westerns. I like to read the poetry of Robert Frost. I like to read... Historical novels, thinly veiled as novels, but were really history books by James A. Missioner. I was, I was a little bit of a strange, a strange kid, but a kid will do all sorts of things when he feels underconfident, and I never felt good enough. I felt stupid. And so to make up for this, I read a lot. But that man across from that desk looked at me, and he just saw one thing. He saw a high school dropout. I, I don't know that, I, that I've ever felt as low as I did that day. I went and I applied for a few more jobs, and I finally got a call back from a lady at an ice cream shop. An ice cream shop. Dear Lord, I never thought I would, I would work in an ice cream shop. I showed up to that little place. I sat in the back to be interviewed by the manager. The manager was younger than I was, and she was smacking on her bubble gum. And she said... We don't normally hire dudes. I said, why not? She said, well, it's not that we don't hire them. It's that nobody, no dudes want this job. I said, I I don't get it. She said, well, mostly the dudes don't want to wear the uniform. I said, well, what's wrong with the uniform? Well, it's pink. (laughs) At the time, I needed a job so bad, I would have... Not cared had the uniform been a Speedo and a pair of chaps. <laughs> she accepted my application. She hired me. I made $8 an hour. She introduced me to the uniform. It hung in the closet. It was all pink with a pink visor. And employee franchise bylaws stated that all male employees must wear the same things the female's employee wore, which was a pink apron with a picture of a unicorn on it soaring through a cloud that was shaped like a scoop of ice cream. (laughs) I put on my uniform and I stood behind the sneeze guard and I served people. And the job, truth be told, was a magnificent job. Never before in my life had I been around that much ice cream at one time. There were flavors I had never even heard of. There was a flavor called apple dumpling cinnamon. 
I could live on apple dumplings. Cinnamon only coming in as a close second would have been the mint chocolate chip surprise. I love mint chocolate chip. And I ate so much of this stuff that I just about gained five pounds in one week. <laughs> one night, I will not forget this, I was, I was standing behind the counter and waiting on a group of teenagers and I saw a, a couple, a young couple walk in to the front doors. I recognized her right off. It was Mary Curity. Mary Curity and I used to date a long, long time ago. We weren't serious, but we never got serious because Mary Curity's mother approached me one evening and she said, Mary's not going to come down to see you tonight. You're going to have to break this thing off. And I asked why. And she said, look at yourself, son. You're not going anywhere. And then she, she went on to tell me about some of my own failures in life, and one of them being at the top of the list was that I was a high school dropout. And I never saw Mary Curity again after that. And I, I felt ashamed in front of her. And when I had left Mary Curity's house that evening long ago, I told myself I was going to do something with my life. And now I'm standing in an ice cream shop, and I'm looking at Mary Curity. And on her arm is a young man he is, he is about six foot five with broad shoulders, a square jaw, and a pure white smile that when he smiles, he looks like the risen Christ. <laughs> and I am standing behind a sneeze guard wearing a My Little Pony apron. <laughs> I do not recall, I do not recall ever feeling lower than I did at that particular moment. I, I ran through a whole lot of things of what I would say when she recognized me. I ran through, through a whole list of things, but there really was nothing you could say. I mean, what can you say? Well, hi, Mary. Remember me, old Sean? Remember how your mama told, told you I wasn't ever going to do nothing with my life? Well, look at me now. Ha, ha, ha. I'm standing behind a sneeze guard looking like strawberry shortcake. See him back there, they were dressed up like they'd just come from dinner or a movie. And she was holding on to this, this young man's arm, and they were giggling to each other. And I just choked back every ounce of pride I had, and I approached them, and I said, What'll it be today? What'll it be? They both looked at me, and the young man said, You know, I think we will have the triple threat fudge truffle. So I got them a, a sample of that, and they talked about it. They deliberated about it a little bit. He asked for a sample of vanilla, va-va vanilla. They tasted it. They talked about it. They finally settled on Amarilla and Cocoa Bonanza with Heath Crumbles sprinkled on top of it. They paid. They tipped me a dollar, and I walked out of that ice cream shop. She never even recognized me. She never even, even gave me a second look. Now, I had been fully prepared to be recognized and to be humiliated, to feel pathetic. But I had not been prepared to be so pathetic that I was unrecognizable. That night after work, I went back to our little apartment and I sat at that drainage ditch. And I sipped a Coca-Cola with peanuts in it. 
And I heard a commotion behind me. It was a, it was a, it was a scuffle. I could hear a fight breaking out. And I heard Jim and Danny roll up on his golf cart and say, hey now, hey now, cut it out. And then I heard a smack sound and I heard Jim and Danny howl in pain. And I knew that, that they were not going to just sit around studying the book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> and I could hear them fuss. And I just stared out at that drainage ditch. When I finished my Coca-Cola, I stood up. I chucked it into the water. And I told myself that night, I believe in you. I don't care what anybody thinks about you, but I believe in you. And I was talking to me. And it was that same week that I went and I enrolled in a community college. My first class was an English class. And that teacher, after reading something that I wrote, she said, you know what? I think you might be a real writer. I think you might be the only writer I ever had. And that did something to me. It made me, it made me feel like there was a possibility in my life. That was a long, long time ago. It took me a long time to finish college. I won't lie to you. It took me 11 years to finish college. I finished when I was 30-something. And after I finished my, my, my classes, I started writing a blog, which is probably how I was introduced to you, fine folks. And then after I wrote a blog, I started speaking for a living. And last year, I, was, I, I spoke all over the state of Alabama. But the guy you're looking at tonight... But the guy you're looking at tonight standing before this microphone is still just a whole lot of nothing who once stood in an ice cream shop wearing a pink apron a high school dropout I will always be a high school dropout no matter no matter how I've completed college and no matter how I've done anything with my life I will always be that high school dropout but but just a few days ago in this glorious weather I went fishing in a little boat out there in the Choctahatchee Bay in Hawktown Bayou. I anchored my boat right out there in the center of the bayou, and I didn't catch a single thing. But I did drink a Coca-Cola filled with peanuts. And when I was finished, I chucked that bottle way out into the water. And I fired up my little motor, my little two-horsepower two motor, and I rode back to shore. I don't know that I've ever been so happy. Fishing makes me feel a little philosophical because I come from men who, who, who feel philosophical when they go fishing because this is just who we are. It's who, who we were made to be. Only I don't have any child with me in my fishing boat to, to share my philosophies with, so I guess you'll have to do. And my philosophy is this. Life is really tough, and I believe it's just about as tough on everybody. Nobody gets it any worse than the other. Nobody gets it any easier than the other. Everybody's got their own things to deal with. But once you find yourself once you are brave enough to believe in yourself, 
I believe you've let hold to the most valuable thing that you yourself will ever own. And once you have it, nobody, nobody can take it away from you. Hey, thanks for having me this evening. It's been a wonderful pleasure. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I've been your host, Sean Dietrich. And man, I love talking to you guys each week. The music here behind me is O'Ray Jervis, Mason Mel, Greg Hay, and Maddie Hiddlebrand. Their prairie bluegrass style is infectious. Man, these guys are good. To find out anything more about what they do, visit hayfeverband.com. And while you're there, I hope you check out their new album, The River. It's worth your time, I promise. If you find anything more about what I do, you can visit seanofthesouth.com. And while you're there, I hope you drop in line because I love to hear from my friends. And speaking of friends, friends, if you can't convince somebody that you're right, just go ahead and try confusing them. Adios. Whatever my-